Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. This is very fitting today because today we are recording on International Women's Day and we got a room for the girls and a room full of girls talking about an awesome, awesome woman. Um, so you will find out why there was no other person to invite to host this today with me other than Charlie. Why is that, Charlie? Because I am completely obsessed with the 17th century and our guest today shares that obsession with me. So this is going to get very nerdy and very fangirly very quickly. So that's a warning. We're joined today by Amy Saunders, who is a PhD student at Winchester. And she's obsessed with all things 17th century and the Stuart monarchy, which we all know was the best. <laughs> but she's here today to take us elsewhere in Europe because we're going to talk about Christina of Sweden, who was an utterly unique character. Welcome, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? Oh, this is brilliant. I love this because Christina is Sweden, who you would have done your PhD on if you could speak 17th century Swedish. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I had to go with something English so that I didn't have to go learn a whole new language um, and learn it in 17th century. <laughs> like, yeah. it's a bit difficult. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> Learning Swedish on Duolingo would be one thing. Um, translating that into 17th century speak would have been quite another um, it's a bit Chris- different. <laughs> Christina, I'm like, we're going to find out why you love her. Um, was always destined to be different, wasn't she? So I, I love this. Basically, it will become apparent um, that she was quite empowered for a 17th century woman. Uh, and this starts because they basically treat her and they think she's a boy. Is that right? And then they just pretend she is one for several years. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it's all a bit crazy, really. What happens is her mother's pregnant and her mother's had a couple of unsuccessful pregnancies in the past. And it's all looking a bit bad um, for the Vasa dynasty in Sweden at the time. Um, And she's pregnant again. um, And it's a middle of the night in December. It's cold. It's horrible. um, And she's giving birth um, and she gives birth to this child. um, And everybody thinks that it's a boy and they run out into the corridors and tell the court like we've got a son we've got an heir isn't it's wonderful um and then a few hours later they go oh no we made a mistake um and they don't know what to do with this so there's a great quote from christina who's writing herself years later that her aunt takes her to her father's bedchamber where he's not very well so he's laying in a sick bed and his his sister comes in with the baby um and in christina's words shows him um in such a state that he can't um sorry shows the baby in such a state that he could see for himself what she dared not tell him so basically she just uncovers christina and goes we made a mistake um well i don't understand how they made the mistake in the first place are they idiots or was it like a placenta and they thought no it's got to be like like in black out of the second it's a boy without a winkle (laughs) (laughs) 
I think um, like the jury's out a bit on it. Um, I think the idea generally is that maybe she was just a bit swollen um, and that in that brief moment in time, they got very excited (laughs) um, and made a mistake. It was no electricity, so candles only, (laughs) middle of winter. Yeah, like and as well, maybe that like kind of psychological aspect to it that people wanted it to be a boy. They wanted a prince. They wanted an heir. Um, but yeah, they said father... it loud enough, one might just erupt. <laughs> might just happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, her father was. She says that her father is pretty chill about it. Um, so he says, you know, well, she's already tricked us once, so that means she's going to be clever, and that's wonderful. Um, and he says, you know, or what we hear from Christina is that he says, bring her up as a prince. Um, so we kind of get this idea at the time that him and his wife aren't really having a good relationship and that she's already had all these other miscarriages. And he's thinking, you know what, this is probably going to be my only child. This is probably going to be my heir. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he honestly meant fully bring her up yeah. as, as a mate or as a boy. He was just thinking like educate her in all of the wonderful things that boys get to learn while girls get crapped on in the 17th century. <laughs> yeah and and she did have lessons when she was growing up with female cousins and stuff so in some ways you can see that her education was typical of kind of a upper class woman but she was also given education that was specifically um, for the role that she would play as queen later on. But then do they completely take it too far? Um, well, I think really a lot of it's her personality. So um, from quite a young age, she much prefers um, kind of things that would be seen as traditionally masculine. So um, things like fencing and hunting. And she goes riding a lot. She does ride side saddle. She does, you know, conform to that gender um image that they wanted um but yeah she does a lot of things that wouldn't be considered very ladylike um and she cross dresses a lot um and yeah probably like practically you know she's really into all of those very active um things that if she was wearing a big fancy dress wouldn't be very practical um but then kind of that building of those those rumours of about, you know, oh, your father wanted you to be brought up like this and the mistake at her birth and things like that all kind of feed into her being able to build on that more. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a strange childhood for her and her mum has a lot of grief to deal with after her, fa- after her husband, Christina's father, dies um, and that kind of makes Christina quite wary of what she sees as like feminine um feminine sensitivities um because yeah she's like i don't want to be associated with that i don't that feels weak and i don't want to i don't want to be like that she she takes the throne quite early in life doesn't she uh yeah so her father who's king gustav of sweden he dies when she's six so he's off fighting in the 30 years war he leads a cavalry charge um and he basically dies on the battlefield it's really brutal it's horrible um and basically at six years old um she is his only heir so she is made queen but not made queen officially so she has a regency um and she's looked after by these men that were appointed by her father um and they're the people who control her education and everything else and her mother gets excluded from that regency um out of 
kind of again fear of her influence over a young child and um yeah so up until the age of 18 this regency's around um and then at 18, she officially becomes queen. Um, but it's not for another few years until she has a big fancy coronation um, because of the war and various other things. It takes a while for her to like properly have a big party and get a, like a officially have the crown on her head. So she gets to this point and obviously her job now is to marry and spit out children. She doesn't want to though, does she? No, <laughs> that is never on the agenda for Christina. Um, so she has some, so she's got a cousin um, called Charles and there's, they're, they're really good friends when they're younger, they grow up together and then he goes off and does the normal kind of masculine thing, goes traveling, like goes off to learn things, gets to do all exciting things. And when he comes back, they, for a while, it seems like they're going to end up married um, and there's these letters between them and um, that are written in code and it's all very passionate and lovey and all wonderful um but in reality christina's kind of staying his resolve he's like we could get married now and she's still under her regency this is before she's officially become queen um and she's like oh no we'll wait we'll wait till i'm officially queen um and by the time she's officially queen she's like no you're just like a, you're just like my brother aren't you like i don't love you oh, like that no that's the crushing line isn't it i love you like a brother i yeah, love you and- as a friend <laughs> i love you as a friend but nothing more like yeah she he he's so um obsessed with marrying her that even when she has left the throne to him and abdicated he writes to her the last letter he sends to her while she's running away from sweden is please come back and marry me and she's like no to be fair then he wasn't just hanging around to be king of sweden well i mean it would have been a nice attraction if he'd married her and become king of sweden but yeah there there was genuine affection there yeah. because <laughs> yeah he carried on wanting to marry her even after she'd already given him the crown um so yeah she she did have um love interests that were both um both men and women um love interests throughout her life um but how kind of i think they're probably more romantic than sexual because there's this point when she just turns around to everybody and says well why would i want to be used the way that a peasant uses his fields like why would i want a man to why would i want well, to pop me. out babies yes. um, <laughs> i love it <laughs> so she's become because of because of this because of her refusal to marriage and her her gallivanting around in, in boys clothes She's become something of a of a gay or lesbian icon, hasn't she, over the years? Yeah, so um, this, with the kind of invention of film and Hollywood and all the rest of it, um, she's become one of those people that we get historical fictions about. Um, so she's present in three films, and then um, there's like a children's book about her, which is a slightly different thing. There's no expiration of her <laughs> sexuality in that. Um, but in the first film, she's played by Greta Garbo, which is absolutely massive that that's who plays her in 1933. Um, and yeah, she's like, um, cross-dressing in it and things and although the narrative is kind of a heteronormative narrative like she falls in love with a man even though she kind of looked at her lady's maid she fell in love with a man um, because obviously it's the 1930s like you're not gonna like produce anything else um but even then she's still very independent she's still um in this very masculine clothing she's still riding horses she's still um fencing and she's still um 
yeah, being a very independent figure um, in that way. And then there's another film in the 1970s. Um, and then there was one that came out only um, a few years ago in 2015. And that one like full on explores her sexuality um, with her lady's maid and like looks at it all in terms of her trying to understand like desire and love and things in the 17th century within both the context of religious change in the 17th century, but also because obviously she'd have only been exposed to like heterosexual love and desire. So, yeah. I should say, Amy, I have researched extensively for today's podcast by watching Greta Garbo in Queen Christina. So I know all of the facts. So I'm <laughs> guessing it was very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's got a lot in it. It's really interesting to watch when you can pull things out of it and see what those things might be symbolizing, but it's, yeah, it's not accurate. So in it, um, her love interest is a Spanish ambassador um, who is come to woo her on behalf of Philip the fourth of Spain. Um, and if you just take him as kind of a symbol of Catholicism, which is like one of the official reasons or one of the official things she does when she abdicates is that she converts to Catholicism. Um, so you can see him as representing Catholicism versus Protestantism. And you can see that um, kind of the public private split um, of her personality and of her queenship and the battle she's kind of going through with her abdication. So there's lots to unpick there. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not accurate. <laughs> Great for a Sunday afternoon, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Greta Garbo. But Christina isn't, like, totally anti-monarchy. She's, she does like some aspects of queenship, doesn't she? Yeah, so she the power, she's all good with the power and getting involved in politics and stuff. And she loves um, kind of the art and education that it affords her um, and all those sorts of things. I think her problem comes with the fact that she's expected to do those things 24-7. She's always supposed to like be in Parliament, always supposed to be responsible, always supposed to be um, kind of conforming to other people's ideas, you know, about you need to get married and you need to have children and you need to be this sort of queen and all those sorts of things. I think that's her problem with being a monarch. But she felt that um, that it was something that she had within her but not something that relied on her being queen. So when she abdicates and goes to Rome, she still has a fabulous life. <laughs> she still gets involved in politics and does all this um, sort of, all these sorts of things that you would equate with the privilege of being a monarch. Um, but she does it without being a monarch, if that makes sense. Oh God, that's so topical today with this interview. <laughs> not wanting to do the role unless you've got the title uh, and do the snazzy bit. Let's not even go there. We're not even going to touch no. the barge pole. It's one of the biggest things that you can do in the monarchy is give it up. And we've got so, yeah, they're, they're scattered throughout history. Ultimately, she wasn't happy as queen. Um, tell us, a little bit about how how did the abdication start when did she start thinking about giving it all up yeah so um so as i said she's being pressured to marry and there's obviously all the kinds of um 
normal ones that you'd expect coming from abroad, different people wanting to bring Sweden into their um, kind of realms of power. And so she's getting all these different offers from different people. Um, and then there's the expectation that she might marry her cousin. Now, lots of people oppose this. Um, his So his mother is the aunt that took her to her father when she was born, but his father is German. And there's a bit of like, oh, he's got German blood. Like, do we really want him? Like, do we want a Swedish king, etc.? But the first time she really kind of mentions abdication, she's literally had her coronation. Her coronation has lasted two months. There's this amazing party. It's really fabulous. Um, That's in like the autumn, winter time. And by the next April, she is sitting with one of her favourites and going, you know, I'd really quite like to abdicate. Um, so it's not a lot of time. Obviously, she's been on the throne for a longer period of time. But considering how much money they've just spent in quite a financially <laughs> tight time in Sweden, she's suddenly going, oh, maybe I don't want this. Um, so, so relevant for today. Let's <laughs> just, I'm not even going to touch it. No, barge pole, barge pole. <laughs> yeah it does feel very relevant yeah one of the big ceremony and she she was due it it was her due Mm -hmm. and then didn't really want the job yeah i think so she so she mentions it um to a guy called magnus who she's quite often one of the people she's quite often like romantically linked to um he's in the greta garbo film um and um she mentions it to him and he freaks out um because a lot of his like power and stuff is tied to the fact that He's her favourite. Um, and he writes some letters to some other people and her cousin freaks out, Charles, because he's still hoping I'm going to marry her one day and then we'll be king and queen together. Um, and so there's lots of kind of worry. Um, and then they kind of come to this agreement. Um, so for her coronation, they'd come to this agreement that her successor, if she died childless, would be Charles. Um so that's already kind of been cleared up. And as far as Christina's concerned, she's like, oh, well, now I don't need to get married because, you know, I've got an heir as such um, waiting. Um, and basically the pressure carries on. Um, and it's a few years until she actually manages to abdicate. But in that time, lots of people go, oh, we'll make it easier for you and things like that. Um, and she's like, oh, I just don't want to. I just don't want to do it, really. Um So that's when she starts getting involved with Catholicism and starts seeing becoming a Catholic as a way out. So she loves classical literature. She loves um, like the art and architecture and stuff that's going on in Rome at the time. Um, And she's like, oh, actually, that looks quite nice. So her conversion to Catholicism. Is her her conversion to Catholicism solely a way out of being queen then? Well, so her conversion is really interesting. So people, she she does meet with representatives um, from the Vatican and from other um, Catholic states who are trying to double check how serious she is about the Catholicism aspect. So clearly... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think it's that episode of The West Wing with the Chinese refugees, Christian refugees, and that one of them gets dragged into the Oval Office and they ask the um, shibboleth question. Uh, yeah, that episode. Yeah, so it was like sort of to test their metal about whether they were just, and he just drops it into a conversation, and the guy does completely understand what he's talking about. He's like, "Oh, you really are a Christian." <laughs> yeah, basically, basically that. So when she abdicates, the official reason is. I'm feeling too overwhelmed. I don't want to do this. I don't feel I can. She leaves it to Charles and she leaves. Um, she leaves Sweden. She basically runs off before the banquet is even like fully finished. She's like, yeah, bye. Um, and she goes to Holland um, and to a couple other places. Um, and she basically hangs out in Holland, has a lovely holiday and waits until the Vatican officially like invite her down to Rome. Um, so they invite her down. She sneaks into Rome for a, a few days. She gets interviewed a bunch more. They agree, yeah, this is fine. And then she leaves Rome and then comes back in to a great big party. So like third great big party. Um, but yeah, in a few years, it's like, okay. Um, so tell us about the journey is quite something else, isn't it? And where she ends up hanging out and what she ends up doing. Yeah, so the journey's amazing. Like she, like I said, she goes to Holland and there's this great description of her basically just, she turns up with a few friends and by the time she's left, she's got loads of friends and she just keeps taking her leave of all of the important people without any ceremony. She just keeps like disappearing off to go explore something else and going to meet someone that everyone's like, oh, that's not very politically astute if you go stay with that person. And she's like, I don't care, they're interesting. And she like flits off all over the place um but yeah when she gets to time isn't she i love it yeah like i honestly i think that's one of the reasons i love her is that you kind of see when you like see her in holland and when you see her getting to rome and stuff the first time like we've all had that holiday that's like the holiday that we want to do and you go somewhere and you're just like oh, like and it's just amazing. And I'm just imagine, I just imagine her with all this wonder and all this, because she'd not left Sweden before and she'd like read about all these places and she knew about all of them. And then suddenly she's seeing it all. And I just think that's really lovely. Like, I just understand the excitement. So much fun. <laughs> yeah, she's having a lot of fun. <laughs> and for a woman yeah. like her who loves the arts and has such a wide range of interests, it must have been incredibly intellectually stimulating for her. Yeah, like she gets to meet all of these people that she's, you know, she's been writing letters to people. Um, and she'd had, back in Sweden, she had invited a whole load of like French philosophers and things to her court. And so she tried to build that in Sweden. But obviously when she goes off to Rome and stuff, she's then getting to meet all these other people along the way. Um, but when she gets to Rome, she ends up... Um, it's just brilliant. She gets there um, and they throw her this big welcome party because obviously because she's converted to Catholicism, however legit 
her feelings are on that um but because she has it's a huge win for the catholic church in the 17th century so they just throw her like a massive party um and there's like all these amazing um temporary arches that they build and things um but they're really scared about her gender and sexuality and about the ambiguity around all that stuff and all the scandal um so they make all these um images that try to link her to biblical women to be like these these biblical heroines from the old testament like she's just like them and it's like well she's really not but (laughs) they try they try to kind of re-image her a bit to make her a bit more yeah, a bit more Catholic friendly um, to live in Rome. Rebranding her so that she yeah. fits in. Tell us, I, this wasn't in the list of questions, but I died to know, what was her life in Rome like? Was it particularly devout? <laughs> yeah, so kind of going back to the one a minute ago about, you know, how true was her Catholicism? Um, she was interested in it. Like, you know, that that was part of the draw. But when she converts to Catholicism it is very much also about the culture and the art and the escape that she can get through converting rather than just being very very devout so she gets there um and she lives in different places for a bit and she does some more traveling and stuff but eventually she settles um for the whole rest of her life um in what is now I'm just going to check what is now the Palazzo Corsini but wasn't um it's now it's now a building from the 1730s 1740s um but it still holds an art gallery today and I think she'd have absolutely loved that so she lives in this palace basically um and she fills it with art um both like modern of the period and um, classical art. So at the time, out um, just outside Rome, they've uncovered or started to uncover bits of Hadrian's villa. Um, and she has a whole load of statues um, from Hadrian's villa in her house. Um, and then at the same time, she's commissioning artworks from people like Bernini, um, who has just like designed um, the whole new front of the Vatican. Um, and she's commissioning him to make all these new artworks to go in her house and hanging amazing paintings and she builds like a huge library um and she invites people round she has like an open day um like quite regularly and people will come round and there's loads of comments from people traveling who said oh like i've gone to see the queen of sweden today um and like make comments on how she looked and how she was how she still acted quite masculine and quite um but very um kind of open like she'd come and talk to everybody um but she also liked to spy on people when they didn't know she was there as they were looking around her art collection and things so yeah she's having a she's having a wild time goodness so was was she in rome was she the hostess with the most then yeah i think so there's been some great work recently about how so because rome being the seat of catholicism is therefore very masculine with the Pope and things and the Pope not officially being able to have like a queen consort that Christina was able to kind of fulfill a queen consort in kind of tandem with the Pope without having had to get married and have children and everything else. Um, so yeah, she builds this cultural center around her and people yeah, flock to see her, but there's also lots of, lots of people who aren't very happy with her. Um, so there's, 
lots of like newspapers and pamphlets and stuff um and there's one person who warns you that you shouldn't take your daughters to see her because she'll try to look up their skirts and things like that um so she's beloved by many people and other people are very um suspicious of her and very like um she's very controversial controversial I love that. There's always some bloke writing some nonsense like that, isn't there, about a woman that's just got too far above uh, her own station in life. It's so ridiculous. Uh, She was given, she evidently didn't piss Rome off too much, a very (laughs) rare honour, wasn't she, when she died? Yeah, so she's one of only three women to be buried in the Vatican, which is absolutely huge, um, to, to put it lightly um and i think this shows two things um it firstly shows what a great tool for catholic propaganda she was you know she was a lutheran queen who had abdicated leaving her crown and had done that in or so the catholic church could spin it to convert to catholicism um and so that's massive in the 17th century it's such a big deal um and she actually she wants to be buried quietly she wants to just have a chilled um funeral she leaves her art collection to various people um and that's that's all she wants um but she ends up with this crazy ceremony um it starts from her house where she's been laying like in state basically um and they go all the way through rome um and they get to um the vatican they get to St. Peter's um, and yeah, she's buried in the crypt there um, and they build her this huge monument and it's got her crown on it to remind you all that, you know, this is what she gave up to be here. Um, and it's also got this amazing carving underneath it, which shows her kneeling in front of the Pope. Um, so when she first had come to Rome, the Pope had conferred like new names on her and stuff and like officially welcomed her in a big ceremony in St. Peter's. Um, so it's really a key part of her story, really, in Rome's eyes to have that image on her tomb in the place where that happened. Um, so, yeah, it's it's huge propaganda for them. And it helps that the next Pope um, who becomes Pope just after she died, um, is one of the other people that she is possibly romantically linked to. Um, so, yeah, like one of her besties <laughs> is the next like, Pope. <laughs> she's really important for the Vatican, isn't she? Because um, they've just basically been through, what, a hundred years of hell of people deciding that Catholicism mean all that and they're going to go a different way uh, and a Europe-wide reformation. Um, so to be able to then have someone jack that in and give a throne up in the name of Catholicism, she really was a dream come true for them. I think she was worth every penny they looks like they spent on her. Yeah, she had a lot of money spent on her. She spent a lot. So she might not have been interested in like jewels and stuff like that, but she spent a lot of money. Um but yeah, it's really interesting because obviously at the beginning of her abdication, nobody knows she's going to become a Catholic and you get all this like Protestant commentary around her in the period between her leaving Sweden. And then when she gets to Rome and it's official, suddenly everyone's like, oh, OK, that happened. Um, because up till then, people are still thinking of her as like this powerful single Protestant woman. And so other people are going, oh, maybe we could still get married to her sort of thing. Yeah, until so, she is all of that. So I was being nerdy and I looked up the other two women who join Christina in the Vatican. Uh, Just for anyone who's interested, we have Matilda of Tuscany, who was part of a powerful family and she died in the second half of the 11th century. And then there was Christina, 
And then she was joined later on by Maria Clementina Sobieska. That's where Alina shoots me for Polish uh, pronunciation. She's not here. She's on holiday. It's fine. Oh, you got away with it. You can and slaughter she... the language as much as you like. <laughs> I can murder the language. She was the English Catholic queen in exile and the mother of Bonnie Prince Charlie. So those are your other women in the Vatican. Yeah, um, and that's really, that's one of the things that's coming out in some current research um, by a scholar called Camilla Candare. Um, mm-hmm. And she basically says that Christina shaping that position for herself in Rome allows Catholic exiled women, royal women later on um, to kind of build a centre for themselves on her example. Um, so, yeah, the fact that she's buried there after Christina um, kind of all ties into that. Gosh. And nobody since then. Nope. <laughs> so she what? lived in 62, um, looking at the notes I've made. Um, and she, she fell ill after, um, apparently she suffered from diabetes of some description. Um, and it was something to do with that. And then she ended up contracting pneumonia and things. So, um, but she died at home in 1689. Yeah. The, there's a description of her from the year before, actually, that I think is really interesting where someone says, so the year before she died, um, where someone describes her as being like short and fat and talking like a man. And I think it's really interesting that those gender ambiguities haven't left her. Like people still are kind of going to see her art collection, but also recording kind of what they're maybe seeing as like a curiosity about her. Um, So yeah, like, but yeah, she died at home um, and then gets this very fancy funeral. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it any other way. (laughs) Oh, she'd have to make a big show and a party of it. Come on. It's Christina. The last one, the last party. (laughs) So Amy, what do you think Christina's legacy is today? Yeah. So I think this is really interesting because if you look into so many museum collections around the world have stuff related to her. Um, but I don't always think that's necessarily highlighted that they're connected to her or what kind of how broad her story is. Um, so I did some work on, um, how we write about her in museums and a lot of the time you get her being called unconventional. But when you look at the list of things that they write about, the only thing that could fall into her, unconventional would be her gender and sexuality um so I think in the past maybe there's been a kind of a difficulty about how do we write about that um in museum context but she's honestly she's everywhere there's so much of her stuff in the Prado there's so much of her stuff in museum collections in Rome um and then there's like fabulous prints and stuff of her that you find basically in every major museum um so yeah like in terms of her legacy I think it's interesting because you get these three films and certainly in the first two she is played by really top of the range actresses for that period um and people whenever I mention Christina of Sweden to people either they have no idea who they who she is or they relate her to Greta Garbo so clearly for certain generations of people who have watched those films she has a legacy and they've found her interesting and she's grabbed their attention um but really I don't think too much is made out of her out of all of the kind of queens that I've studied she's probably the most forgotten other than Catherine of Braganza um and people outside of the queenship kind of circle don't tend to 
like of, haven't heard of her before um which i think is really sad because she led this amazing life um and you can see things related to her all over the place um in rome there's loads of buildings and stuff that are still present that are connected to her there's loads of artwork and things and i think i haven't been yet <laughs> because lockdown um but in sweden i think potentially she's remembered more because she's just part of their monarchical history in the same way that we would remember certain monarchs and things throughout like British history. Um, but in terms of kind of like internationally, um, I don't think she's remembered that greatly, really. And hold the phone. Hang on, hold the, we need to stop the interview right here. There's a queenship circle. How do I get into this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't really know how I got into it, to be honest. (laughs) You need to hit up Gabby's story. She has a queens thing on uh, Twitter. Yes. All ladies who love queens. I was like, there we go. That's what I should be promoting right now. I am part (laughs) of Gabby's um, team, Queens. Um, And so um, basically, so Gabby recently finished her PhD um, and has started kind of a global queenship um, blog. And we do like a queen of the day and things like that. Um, And basically, there's just lots of queenship nerds hanging out together and writing posts for social media. um so we'll hook yeah. you up charlie don't worry sign me up i want to <laughs> join this sounds like fun <laughs> amy thank you so much for coming on to share christina's story i'm really glad i think we've we've done her justice she's had a whole episode all to herself which she absolutely deserves i think she's a really positive female role model she did role model she doesn't like the hand that she was given so she changed it in the yeah. middle of the 17th century. I like that. I mean, granted, it's not like she ever went hungry and there was a, like, where's my next meal coming from? And not everybody had that. I mean, there's privilege there. But she still, it still took a lot to go, nah, do you know what? I'm, I'm not down with this. I don't like the way this is playing out. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to think about it as well. Like, it was exciting, but also it must have been pretty scary to be, just give up everything you knew and just be like, yep. And she didn't always, like, she always had food on the table and things, but she didn't always know where her money was coming from. Um, She just kept spending and then she'd go, oh no. And then she'd write to someone and be like, please lend me some money. And they'd go, okay then. Um, So, yeah, very, very independent and yeah. But she walked away from so much. I mean, that to walk away from literally the crown and all of that, that's a, that's a big thing. She had guts. Yeah. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them, and you can support History Hack too. 
10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash hack history or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them, and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash hack history, or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.